This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So, Blair, we get to have this segment all to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And talking about, and I think this is a really good segment, four key things or four mistakes to avoid when you are already in debt. Yeah, so it's obviously a minefield. If you're in a situation where you know you're not going to be able to pay people off what they're owed, um, there's going to be pain, right? And you have to be careful how that pain is shared, uh, meaning amongst your creditors. And there's a bunch of things that you can potentially do that you might think you're doing the right thing, that in the end of the day, you're really not solving the problem and perhaps deepening things a little bit more. So let's go through all those today and give give some guidance. Yeah, so it's not really complicated ones, but they're things that you think you should do when in fact you should just take a second and rethink that. Yeah. And as I was writing this segment up, I was really thinking, you know, over the years of, of me meeting with individual clients, you know, it's definitely into the thousands at this point, you know, what are some of the themes that come out that people say, you know, I wish I hadn't done that. And that maybe that wasn't in my best interest. So yeah, we'll, we'll go through a few of those today. Excellent. Okay. So uh, number one, and we see this happen a lot. If you're in debt, then the idea to go and borrow money yeah. to get out of debt, it, it's kind its kind of logical. It certainly yep. is logical in some people's brains. Um, and that's just not a good idea. Yeah. So it's its the old, you know, parable or fable or whatever that, you know, when you find yourself in, in a hole, what do you do the first thing is you stop digging. And yeah. when you take on new debts, sometimes you just keep digging yourself deeper. So let's talk about a couple things that people usually, you know, uh, go to right away. So one is a consolidation loan. And, you know, th- this sounds great, right? It does because the way a consolidation loan works is you're going to put all of your debt together and ideally you're going to negotiate a reduced interest. So maybe if you're paying 20% in your credit cards, you'll get it down to 11 or 12% um, on a consolidated line. Um, but there's two big issues with a consolidation loan. What are they? Well, first off is it's very difficult to qualify for one. So it's almost the, oh. the people that don't need to consolidate are the ones that would qualify because you need to generally have free and clear assets. You need to have a house with a ton of equity in it. You need to have a bunch of savings or investments that the bank could take some security on because a bank is going to take a risk. If they issue you a consolidation loan, they're going to pay off all of your other debts and then you're going to owe that new bank. And unless that bank's got some security, they're usually not going to be willing to advance a consolidation loan. Okay. So problem one is it's difficult to get, but problem two, and this is even more severe, it's sometimes be careful what you wish for uh, because I've seen again and again, people are successful in getting consolidation loans and then they just start using the credit cards they consolidated originally and they've rung up the debts again oh. um, because it doesn't force you to deal with the underlying issue. Right. So, you know, suddenly you can afford your monthly payments and then you say, okay, well, I'll put one thing on this credit card and then another thing. And then, you know, maybe a year or two later, you've doubled the problem you originally had. Right. And this is where I, I just want to plug having somebody like you, a licensed insolvency trustee to work with, is that along with all the financial um sort of reconfiguration and health and all of that that we've talked about so many times and we'll talk about again, uh, there's also counseling. Yeah. And that's and that's the key, I think, right, is to figure out, okay, how did I get into this situation in the first place? 
and how can I avoid to ke- not get in it again? Yeah, what's the root cause? It's not yeah. not a simple thing. Okay, well, let's clear off the debt and then you go on your merry way. No, it's if you if you work with a trustee, you know, we really want to understand what is the circumstances that caused it. How do we help you get through it, and how do yeah. we try to prevent it reoccurs? Exactly. So yeah. the idea of taking on new debt with a consolidation loan again, be very very careful. Fair enough. Um, you know, another new debt that people really can get into trouble with, and you know, I've just put down on my notes here, just don't do this, um, yeah. is, is payday loans. And they're so attractive. Yeah, it's easy, right? You see a lot of advertising out there. You know, they're very, you know, nice, clean storefronts, so on and so forth. They're in your neighborhood, all of that. Yeah, they're everywhere. Yeah. So it's got to be good. Well, you pay ridiculous interest fees, yeah. um, you know, sometimes north of 500% per annum, um, you know, when you add in all the, all the interest and fees there. And the challenge with payday loans, and I see it again and again, is one breeds another. So you get one and then to pay that one back, you sometimes have to take out a second one and then a third one. And it can go where people have 10 different payday loans going on on the go. Um, There's no security a payday lender requires from you typically. So it's easy to incur, but the fees and then the the fact that they again tend to breed others, that can be very difficult. Fair enough. Okay. Um, So I, this is, this is where we get into uh, words that I, I don't know what they mm-hmm. mean. Yeah. Uh, the collateral loan, the automobile collateral loan. What is that? How, when would I get that offered yeah, I, I've seen that very, very recently, literally in the last 12 months in the lower mainland okay. here. And that's if you owned a car free and clear, and maybe it's you know a great car you saved for a while, you know, you're very proud about it, um, and you need some money, you can go to one of these organizations and they'll take security over your car. And what you essentially do is you sign a sale agreement and they agree not to take possession of your car as long as you make the payments. Um, but if you miss any payments on this uh, this new loan, they've got the right to seize your car. And in one case, a client I was dealing with, they didn't even have to give the car back until he had paid the loan off in full and they were going to charge him storage fees. So he was a couple payments in and went delinquent. He had 10 more months to go on the loan and they were going to keep his car in storage and force him to pay the storage fees. And essentially it was all in the terms and conditions of the loan. So if you're looking to get some short-term financing and they want to take collateral over your automobile, Speak to a trustee, get someone to look over the documents, make sure your eyes are wide open of what potential powers you are giving away. Essentially, you're basically selling your car and going to be buying it back. And if something happens with those buybacks, uh, you are not on the driver's seat. Yeah. And that interest rate of 20 to 30 percent yeah. uh, being a fairly common thing, that's crazy. Yeah. It's not cheap financing. Even though you're given security, it's not cheap. Right. So the other one, we've talked about this a number of times, and I think it's just so important, is the whole idea because people are lovely, family and friends. They want to give you a hand. They want to help. It's yeah. not like you're going to them begging, but they're offering, saying, what can I do? How can I help you? Yeah. And so the whole concept of borrowing money from family or friends and you don't think that's a good idea? No, almost always it's a really bad idea. Um, you know, a family or friends need to help you out, you know, on a monthly basis because the income just isn't enough to meet the monthly expenses. That's one thing. Um, but if you borrow, say, a chunk of money to pay off a credit card company, um, you know, there's a lot more emotion attached to not being able to pay back your mother, father, brother, or sister than not being able to pay back Bank of Montreal or Royal Bank or things like that. Right. So I have people in my office quite often that, you know, we go through all of their debts and they're very comfortable. Okay, we need to restructure the bank and so on and so forth. But, oh my God, I can't leave grandma in the lurch. You know, I've got to pay this money back to family. Um, so, you know, I have to explain to them, well, if it's a bankruptcy or a proposal, you can't give prefer- preferential treatment to family members. But what often happens is once a bankruptcy or proposal is over, the person feels obligated and they go back and they still pay that money back. So yeah. at the end of the day, it's another obligation that they wouldn't have to pay if they hadn't borrowed from friends and family members, if they had just kept it with commercial organizations. And the, and the flip side of that too is not, is 
you feeling bad, but then the person that you've borrowed the money from. I mean, that's such an easy uh, an easy situation where resentment can build up, yeah. and and you know, let's say maybe you're going on a holiday and you still owe grandma five thousand mm-hmm. bucks, and she's going, "Why aren't you paying me?" Like all of that stuff that never gets talked about. Yeah, again, these are one of the big regrets a lot of clients say is, "I wish I hadn't brought my family into this." Yeah, period. Yeah, good enough. Um, and and then taking advice from the wrong people—that's a tough one because you know everybody like. <laughs> I'm probably one of the worst offenders. Love to give you advice oh, yeah. on what I think you should do. <clears throat> well, exactly. And most people, when it comes to debt too, we've got this sense of morality, right? Yes. And and we think it's a crime if you don't pay back your debts. Well, you know, sometimes you're just not able to, and that's not a crime. You shouldn't go to jail for it. Um, but you've really got to be careful who gives you advice um, because whether it's well-meaning friends and family members, maybe it's coworkers, you know, it could even be an accountant who's just really not experienced in insolvency. Um, you know, I've had people get completely the wrong advice, you know, something like like, well, don't worry about CRA. They can never collect from you anyway. Well, no, that, that's not really true that's here. That's not true. <laughs> uh, you know, don't worry about paying your friends and family back in a preferential way. You know, that can cause you a bunch of problems yeah. here. Um, or the biggest thing is just when people get advice and the advice says, there are no options here. There's nothing you can do if you owe a student loan or if you owe the government money. And then some, sometimes people just get hopeless. Right. So, you know, you would never go to your dentist and say, gee, you know, my car is making a funny noise. Can you help me with that? Yeah. Um, so going to a professional who's not a licensed insolvency trustee, you're really not guaranteeing that you're seeing the expert. There's really one professional you should see if you're in debt trouble, and it's a licensed insolvency trustee. An accountant accountant or a lawyer, they should refer you to a trustee and most do. Absolutely. And credit counseling and all that kind of... Those that group that area uh, again we've talked about it's just not a good idea. Yeah, I would say for your first instance, you know, go and see a trustee. If a trustee thinks you know an informal credit counselor can can do what you need, if you've got you know a small problem and just need a little bit of coaching, then sure they'll refer you to the right person. But your challenge is if you start with the person who's unqualified, maybe a little bit less professional, um, you may never actually get in front of the trustee who can really solve your problem. Exactly. The next one, mistaking minimum payments for progress. And and we've, again, that whole credit card thing of where they, yeah. you know, you owe, I don't know, $2,000 and they suggest what, that you give them $10 or something at the bottom. And yeah. that's just crazy king too. Oh yeah, it's it's when you start to dig into the minimum payment math, and we've done segments about this before. It's just depressing, um, you know, when your debts are moving away from you at you know twenty to thirty percent interest per year. You know, they double on their own every couple of years if you just did nothing on them. Um, so you know, the interest can really start to just consume any progress that you're making. I had a lady in my office on just this last week, and she showed me, you know, I made a two hundred dollar payment last month on my credit card, and we looked at it, one hundred and eighty five dollars went to interest and fees. $15 went to the principal. Wow. So you can imagine how demoralizing that is. What's that? 93% of her payment did not move the needle. 7% did. Exactly. So, yeah. So if you're just if you're just making minimum payments, quite often all you're doing is treading water, you're you're postponing the inevitable. And the final thing, um, and this is I I'm sure you run into this all the time with with clients, the whole idea the, of, of the shame that's attached to it and, and people just keeping it to themselves. Yeah. People suffer alone. They suffer in silence. Um, they feel like they're the only people, um, you know, in Canada that are experiencing this type of a debt issue. And, you know, the reality is over 100,000 people in Canada every year uh, see a trustee and file either a bankruptcy or a proposal. Um, but yeah, we see people that, you know, for sometimes it's upwards of two years, they just feel hopeless. They, you know, stop sleeping. They don't eat well. Their health suffers. Their family suffers. Their relationships suffer. And it's just a matter of they need to reach out and ask for help. 
And the biggest concern people say to me is, you know, they were just concerned about admitting the problem and being judged and, you know, feeling like, you know, they had been stupid. And, you know, some people think they're going to get thrown in jail because of their debts and, you know, their neighbors are going to find out. There's just so many more myths than there are facts. Uh, what I'm really proud about at Sands and Associates is we greet everybody, you know, as if they were a member of our family. We treat everybody with respect and with empathy. Uh, you know, we know good things can happen to bad people and money problems aren't a reflection of someone's personal character. It's just a commercial transaction that unfortunately just didn't go the way that everyone hoped it would go. Um, but Canadian law is great and that it gives you a chance to rebuild, to turn around and to have a better tomorrow. And I, I do want to mention too, just as we wrap this, uh, it's really important to know that I'm not paying you uh, any, I mean, let's talk about the pay structure because that's yeah. a question that people have yeah. all the time. What What do you get out of this? What does Sands and Associates get out of this? Yeah, and for a free consultation, we get nothing out of it. There, right. There's no charge. There's no obligation. A lot of people that I see, I give them some good advice. They move on their way and they thank me for it and that's the end of it. Uh, if we do end up restructuring debts, anything anybody pays is set by government tariff. It's the same with every trustee in the country. And that's really important to remember. Uh, you're listening to Dollars and Cents. Uh, you've been listening to Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. I'm Elaine Scollin. Get a financial fresh start by calling Sands & Associates 1-800-661-3030 for that free consultation. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. I love this segment, Blair. I think it's a great idea. Uh, each month, we're going to talk about the issues, like the top issues that are coming across your desk with your clients when they're walking in the door. Um, and boy, oh boy, <laughs> Ugh, I, I as much as I hate this, the fact that it's going on, I think it's really important that we talk about it. Um, I personally am getting these phone calls right. from CRA, and yeah. and they're so threatening and so demanding, and I, you know, I immediately hang up or they show up on my cell phone. Yeah. But it's so. I just think if somebody's not thinking about it like I am, hmm. they're you know just be frightened to death. Yeah. So the focus for our first monthly client roundup, what I'm seeing this month is more and more scams. And Elaine, you, you hit the nail on the head with the first one, CRA. Um, I didn't see this scam about a year ago and now just about every week I'm getting a call or I'm having a client who's coming in the, in the door and people are literally shaking because yeah. they, they just don't know, um, you know, because the scam essentially the way that it goes, it's outbound calling. So CRA or someone purported to be CRA is going to call you and they're going to say, you know, there's been some failure to file or some mistake in your tax return and you owe us pick X dollars, you know, X thousands of dollars, maybe a few thousand dollars. And they say, you know, this is S escalated past the point where, you know, respectfully, we could make a deal with you at this point. This is criminal and we will be at your door tomorrow unless, and it's always the unless, you go and you wire transfer money or sometimes you even buy gift cards or things like that. And obviously I'm summarizing this in the space of, you know, 30 seconds here, but this is, you know, over the space of a half an hour or even an hour, maybe multiple calls. And what's really shocking too is often the caller ID will say Canada Revenue Agency. Exactly. And the number they give you to call back, they will answer the phone, Canada Revenue Agency. And and that is criminal to me. These yeah. people should be shot. 
<laughs> Sorry, but that's yeah. just awful. Well, it's it's definitely it's horrible because it's preying on the idea you know that people have that you can trust the government. Um, at the end of the day, that when a government collector calls you, it's something you got to take serious. Um, but you know, in these cases, if if a CRA collector calls you, first off, understand CRA is never going to threaten you with jail time. Never. They're not going to say pay this balance or we're throwing your, yourself in jail. That's just not going to happen. People don't go to jail for unpaid taxes. They might go to jail for not filing tax returns for twenty years, but even that barely happens. So. And I'm pretty sure they will not phone you or send you an email. Mm-hmm. You will get a oh, letter yeah. in the mail. It will always start with a letter. Yeah. And then you might get collection calls after if you ignore the letter, but it'll always be referring to the letter. Right. Um, they'll never come to your house to collect. That never. just doesn't happen. No, um, no it never happens. Uh, they'll never give you a 24 hour, 24 hour window to take action or else. You know, again, all of these things. And if you're just hearing it for the first time, you say, well, how could somebody fall for that? But in the moment when you're not sure and when these guys are sounding very, very convincing, you know, all of this stuff, you're like, well, I don't want CRA at my door. I definitely don't want to go to jail, so let me just pay to make this go away. Especially if you've got caller ID, you've yeah. taken that step for protection to know who's calling you, and it says CRA, yeah. and I, I should take it back. I don't think they should be shot. <laughs> that that would be too good. Shot I think. out of a cannon. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Shot out of a cannon or just sent directly to prison. There we go. Yeah. And, you know, what you can do to protect yourself is, you know, you can call the police. Um, you can call a licensed insolvency trustee and ask a couple of questions. But the biggest thing is just a rule of thumb. If someone's calling you from an organization, um, just say, okay, I'm going to phone you back, but you don't take their number. You go and look up online what's CRA's general number, and then you navigate back to the person that was speaking with you. Um, and obviously, in this situation, you'd phone CRA's general number. You'd ask to speak to the person who's threatening to come to your door the next day. And very quickly, you would get some comfort that this is not real. And it's really important, uh, I just want to repeat what Blair said about not phoning the number back that you got, mm-hmm. because there's a whole other level of scam that's going on with phone numbers and uh, phone calls being made. So yeah, you need to hang up, phone the organization yourself and go from there. Right. So what else is still going on? I mean, that's worse. I mean, that's the worst CRA. Uh, but romance scams? Are you kidding me? Yeah, I see these less prevalent than, than CRA, but you know, sure. definitely in the last month I've seen a couple wow. and it, it's never the person that you would think would fall victim to this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I've had, uh, I've had in this past month, there was a female in my office, you know, very sophisticated, professional, well put together, you know, clearly knew where she was going in life. Uh, and this was an online dating um, sure. scam. So, And I know, you know that they're that they're very successful, the online dating, the online dating sites. Some of them are very good. I know, mm-hmm. I know a number of people who have found, you know, the best partner ever as yeah. a result. Oh, of course. Yeah. People find love and get, get married quite often. Um, but the challenge here is that there are sharks, you know, swimming among the fish, so to speak. Yeah. So, you know, there are boiler rooms around the world where people will be doing, you know, 40 or 50 or these at a time, you know, having a fake profile and starting to build emotional intimacy over time through, you know, some very well-written emails and texts and different things like that, but you never actually meet the person. Right. And then usually what happens is suddenly something happens to this, you know, uh, person that you you're hoping to meet at some point and maybe marry and have a great life together, but something happens. You know, they're overseas, they're traveling, they're thrown in jail, and they need to make bail money, for example. And there's nobody else they can call except for you because, oh God, if people found out, this would be terrible. So then you start and you wire a little bit of money and maybe it's $500 or $1,000. But it's still $500 yeah. or $1,000 that is going to some 
bad person sitting yeah. in their basement in Burnaby or wherever, yeah. right, that's scamming you. Oh, ex- exactly. And if it stopped there, you know, that would be okay. But, you know, oftentimes it gets to twenty, thirty, even $50,000. You know, people going into debt, you know, using up all of their available credit to try to help what they think is their life partner, who, again, they've unfortunately never met. And when they step back and look at the facts, they all say, how could I, you know, how could I have been taken from this, uh, taken by this? But you've just got to realize it's an industrial scale now and it's psychological warfare. They are using words and tones and phrases, the idea to build this relationship. So you've just got to be careful, never advance money to anybody unless you've met them. And obviously be careful if a relationship starts off with one person borrowing from the other quite often. Fair enough. Check cashing scams. Yeah, this one in in general is if it seems too good to be true, it really is. So there's a number of scams out there right now, and they often uh, recruit over LinkedIn. So a few of my clients, you know, they were out there mm. looking for jobs, and someone on LinkedIn just out of the blue said, "Got a very important financial job. We need your help with." And they explain it in a very convoluted way, but the substance of it is, we're going to give you a check, and we need you to take this check to a Canadian bank and deposit it. We want you to wait for the check to clear, and that's 30 days. And then after the check clears, we want you to forward us the funds less your cut, which is, you know, maybe a 10 or 15% commission. Okay. So it sounds like money for nothing, right? Right. You know, you're just cashing money. But what happens is after 30 days, you send the funds away to, to the person here and you probably never hear from them again. But then maybe 30 or 60 days after that, your bank comes back and says, hey, that original check, that was actually fraudulent. So we're holding you on the hook because you cashed that check. Oh. And we don't care that we've processed it through and we don't care that the funds aren't in your account anymore and gone. That's your problem. Our problem as the bank is you owe us money. Wow. That is very sophisticated. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yes. No good. <laughs> that's, uh, that's just bad. Uh, and the last one, and I think this is, I always think this is an important one that we talk about is, is credit counseling concerns. Yeah. And this was just an example I had last week that, you know, almost broke my heart in, in a way. Uh, it was a, a couple that I met with and 18 years ago, um, they got into trouble on their taxes and it was because they were both, you know, very, um, very good students doing well in school. And then one of them got very sick and had mm. to drop out of school. And then subsequently they had a few kids and started a family and, you know, now everyone's health is great. Uh, but for literally the last 18 years, these folks have had a tax issue that they went to see a credit counselor 18 years ago and they were told there is nothing you can do about tax debt in Canada. You just need to pay it. You need to suck it up and pay it dollar for dollar. Oh, So boy. for 18 years, they've had no hope. They've built no net worth. They haven't even filed taxes for the last 10 years because if they file, they know the government's going to want their money. Oh, so, so many times in my office, I said, how can this be allowed that someone can give bad information on debts? And unfortunately it's buyer beware. If they had come to a trustee 18 years ago, they would have had a much different you know, last 18 years. Oh my gosh, that is a heartbreaker yep. that they uh, that they didn't think that they could take action and then be so afraid to do anything, especially even file tax, your tax return. Yep. That's oh, very, very sad. If uh, I guess the bottom line, do you want to hit the bottom line? And I, I can talk about it or you can on this, that only a trustee uh, is a federally is federally licensed to help you understand your debt options, and I yep. I think that's just a really good thing to remember. Uh, any credit counselor can set up shop overnight and then give bad information. Always get a second opinion, and if nothing else, if you're pretty much sold that this is the right way to go, and you just take that hesitation and get that second opinion and and call and make that get a free consultation with Sands and Associates. Um, Blair and any of his staff will be able to give you the best information that is available and it's factual and true and because they have to tell you the the facts about this mm-hmm. uh, or check the website it's terrific sans-trustee.com 
or you can give them a call at 1-800-661-3030 for that free consultation and to find an office near you. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. On the line with with us right now is Mark Silverthorne. Uh, Mark's the founder of Comprehensive Debt Solutions. He was a collection lawyer and a collection industry insider. For 12 years, between 1994 and 2006, Mark worked as a collection lawyer for four of the 10 largest collection agencies in the country in the greater Toronto area. Now, after a game-changing conversation, and this is in the intro, Mark, and I want to hear about this game-changing conversation with your eight-year-old daughter, Mark stopped doing collection work for creditors and collection agencies, and he crossed that creditor-debtor fence and became uh, began representing consumers experiencing problems with unsecured consumer debt. Mark, thanks so much for joining us. It's my pleasure to be here today, Elaine. And I also want to mention that you're the author of a book called The Wolf at the Door, What to Do When Collection Agencies Come Calling. And it's available in bookstores across the country and has been since 2010. So I want to hear about this game-changing conversation that you had with your daughter. Well, it started out innocently enough. We were in the backyard... And I just said to my eight-year-old, because she's quite inquisitive, I said, what does your dad do for a living? And she says, my daddy sends letters to people, and the letters say, pay your bills, or I'm going to put you in the composter. (laughs) Wow. And, and, you know, I said to myself, is that what they're going to put on my tombstone? Is that? (laughs) No, but... Yeah. You know, I would hope that my life would <laughs> contribute more to society than that. And I said to myself, from based on my experience, I could help so many people if I took that twelve years of, of being a, an indus, you know, a collection industry insider, and I shared it with consumers because I know all I know where all the skeletons are buried. I know all the tricks. And I could actually help people, and I would go to bed, and I would actually feel like I was doing something helping people. It's quite an epiphany so, that you had then. Yes. Very cool. So that did that lead you to write the book, or did you start doing the work and then write the book? Well, I, I sort of, um, I mean, writing the book was, was a fairly lengthy process, so I would say that I started to represent consumers quite shortly after that, within a few months. And then writing the book actually took me quite a while. I I spent a lot of time writing the book, and I actually did a lot of research after I got the, after I signed the, you know, after I signed the book deal with McCollin and Stewart, I actually did a lot of research, um, you know, as part of writing the book. And Mark, what is the the wolf at the door about? Who's the book aimed at, and what, what does it advance? Well, I would call it, it's, it's, it's laid out as a reference guide. And so I think the first section deals with how to handle collection calls. Mm-hmm. And then there's another section that deals with um, how to avoid paying a debt. And we get into things like uh, limitation periods, because if a debt's too old, you may not have to pay it. 
and other things like a person may be judgment-proof. A person may be a senior living on a fixed income, you know, renting. They may owe a lot of money, but it's a practical matter. The creditor may not be able to recover any money from them. There's another topic, another section of the book that deals with um, how to negotiate a settlement with your creditors. Because sometimes um, what will happen is people may be in a position where it's, it's a, they're, they may be able to take advantage of negotiating a settlement. And there are some creditors who will, when the debt is six months in default, they'll settle for you know, 15 to 25 cents in the dollar. And then another section, I look at all the various options that a person has. That would include credit counseling, a consolidation loan, um, a consumer proposal, bankruptcy, doing nothing. I look at all the various options, and then I try and put a dollar value. I actually try and look at how much does it cost in terms of eliminating one dollar of debt. And, and I think one of the ironies is, is that nonprofit credit counseling, which everybody thinks is wonderful, is three times more expensive when it comes to eliminating one dollar of debt compared with a consumer proposal, which is offered by for-profit trustees. Yeah, you got both Elaine and myself smiling here because we've made that point a number of times on the show here. You know, a proposal, by law, I can reduce the debt down, you know, usually a third of what you owe, where a credit counselor doesn't have the authority, so you got to pay back 100%. So, you know, there's your three to one. The proposal reduces it to a third versus a credit counselor, you got to pay in full. Well, and, and the, the ironic part of it is if you're if you're speaking with a collection agency and the debt's old enough, the collection agency may actually send out letters offering to settle at big discounts. Mm-hmm. But the nature of nonprofit credit counseling is, or nonprofit, or, you know, uh, credit counseling is, they're not permitted to accept anything less than a hundred cents in the dollar. So uh, I think the government and a lot of people out there are under the mistaken belief that somehow credit counseling agencies are a consumer's best friend. Mm-hmm. And I would argue the, the exact opposite. Some people might suggest they're, you know, wolves in sheep clothing. Exactly. Mark, can we go, can we go back to that initial first contact that somebody might have with a collection agency and you're getting, you're getting the calls at home? What do you, what, what's your sort of list of things that you tell people or that you've written about, what should we do? We're getting a call at home or we're getting calls at home from a collection agency. Well, the first thing I'd want to do is I want to find out um, what's the name of the entity that's calling me. And for example, if the first three to six months that you're getting the call, it's probably from the original creditor, the, the, the firm that provided you with uh, goods, services, or credit. And in some cases, we're getting calls, and it may be legitimate that you actually owe the money, and through some mistake, like you've moved, and they, you know, that, that happened to me recently. We moved, and we're getting calls from Bell, and I was, the poor people at Bell, I was saying <laughs> pretty nasty things to them, and yeah. subsequently, we learned that it was our fault that we actually <laughs> owed the money, and we forgot to notify them of a change. So sometimes, you're being called, and you owe the money, and you say, hey, I better pay that. Now... Sometimes they call, and they're rude, and you may not just be able to, you know, you just may not have the money. And I'll tell you this, they don't want to 
hear about why you can't call. They've heard every excuse in the book. Don't bother trying to explain it to them. So your story, so no matter no matter what, isn't going to make a difference oh, on that matter. call. Yep. You know what? Their job, they typically, it's, it's, you know, being a collector is typically a commission sales job. And they'll get a base pay and plus a bonus or a commission based on recoveries. So they're not paid to listen to your story and get out their handkerchief. I mean, they're getting paid either to berate you to get a payment or to pretend to be your friend and get you to make payment. It sounds like kind of psychological warfare. They're, they're Mark, they're playing, exactly they're playing a, a different is. game, yeah. And some of the best collectors are the ones that position themselves as your friend. And then the other people who just berate you so that you would rather go rob a bank or borrow money from grandma to pay so that they'll just go away. Mm-hmm. And Mark, do people have to take this abuse? No. I mean, right. listen, when somebody calls you, I don't care if it's a, like a telemarketer or, you know, uh, someone, you know, like a charity. If you get a call from anybody and they're saying you've got to pay this bill, you have every right to just hang up. And if it makes you feel better, if you want to tell them, if they were rude to you and you want to make a comment to them, that's your business. And sometimes... I've talked to people, and sometimes they're rude to these people. And that, you know, I mean, you know, knock yourself out. Mm-hmm. And isn't there something else we can do? I mean, don't they have to? Haven't we talked about this, Blair? If somebody's rude and they're, uh, it's a collection agency, correct me if I'm mm-hmm. wrong, please, yep. that you can say, stop talking to me. Stop yep. phoning me. Stop talking to me. You want something from me. Mm-hmm. I want to see it in writing. Yeah, that's a great point, yeah, Elaine. I, and, and that's in, in the province of BC. There's consumer protection legislation. You can say, I don't consent to phone calls. I only consent to letters. And the collectors have to respect that. But, you know, probably less than 1% of people I see even know about that. So, right. you know, the collectors yeah, aren't no. going to tell you that. I assume it's similar in Ontario there, Mark, with yeah, similar regulations. It, it's different in every province. And I think it may be necessary for you to send a letter mm-hmm. to the collection agency saying, you know, all further communications with me must be in writing and then keep a copy of it. And you may want to send it by registered mail because they'll say they never got it. Yeah, I, I say that as well. Um, uh, you know, Mark, what about uh, when someone calls and they're being, you know, com- completely abusive and, and different things like that, and they start to make threats, threats like, I'm going to be at your door tomorrow to, you know, cart out your furniture, or, you know, I'm going to be telling all your neighbors of what's going on. You know, how do you react when a collector is making these threats, and do you have to worry that there's something behind them? Well, I think the first thing that I would do, the first thing I would do when a collector calls me is it say, I just want you to know that I'm recording this call. Yeah, I love that. And as soon as you say that, all of a sudden you've defanged them. Mm-hmm. Because if you record a call and and then you can use that, you can make a complaint to the, the BC consumer protection people. You could use that in court. You could send it to the collector's boss. You could send it to the creditor that collector could lose their job or be in a lot of trouble. So that's the first thing that I would say. I would say, Mr. Smith, I just want you to know that I record, I automatically record all my phone calls. Mm-hmm. And that's like, that's like hitting them with a cattle prod, literally. Yeah, and even if you're not recording, that will have an impact. Oh, yeah, you yeah. can say that yeah. even if you're not doing it. Yeah. 
I always feel bad, Mark, when we have this discussion about folks getting calls from collection agencies are seniors or people who don't necessarily have the wherewithal that you or I would have if somebody called or Blair called, uh, that we could take them on a bit. Um, that's... I mean, is there, have you got some, besides recording your call, which I think is a great one and anybody could use, are there some other suggestions for these kinds of folks? Well, I mean, I, I offer a free 10-minute consultation. I mean, I, obviously, I, I do not charge for that. I, I, don't want, I don't want people's money, but I'm certainly prepared to speak to someone for 15 minutes and give them the benefit of my advice. What kind of things would you tell them, Mark? Can you give us a little tidbits? Well, like, for example, in British Columbia, if the date of your last payment on an unsecured consumer debt is more than two years ago, then you're not going to have to pay the debt. Fair enough. Yeah, well that, That's pretty I, powerful. I, yeah. The other thing is, depending on your circumstances, I referred to this earlier, there are a lot of people out there who are judgment-proof that essentially, even if, I mean, you may owe $100,000, but you may, be, you may be living on social assistance and you may be a renter. Well, there's no way a creditor is going to be able to recover any monies from you, even if they sued you and got a judgment against you. Excellent. Mark, we're just going to wind up uh, this interview for right now. We've been talking with Mark Silverthorne. He's the founder of Comprehensive Debt Solutions. That's the website as well, comprehensivedebtsolutions.ca, if you'd like more information. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. Get a financial fresh start. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Our guest in studio, Mark Fidget. He's a Vancouver-based mortgage consultant and broker, has over 20 years of experience. He's a member of the Verico Mortgage Network and the driver behind uh, advancedequity.ca. That's the website, www.advancedequity.ca. Now, Mark has been on our show before. He's also a frequent speaker on the topic of mortgage debt and personal finance. And we're so happy to have you here, Mark. Thanks, Elaine. Thanks, Blair. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me back. Yeah, our, our pleasure. Um, so, Mark, I've got the first question here. A lot of people are really scared about the beating that their credit rating would take if they take a step to deal with their debt, like coming to see Sands and Associates, maybe filing a bankruptcy or filing a consumer proposal. It's probably the number one concern people have. And when I dig into it, it's all about, am I ever going to be able to afford a house? Am I ever going to be able to qualify for a mortgage? I know you've helped a number of my past clients, and I wonder if you can just give some ideas about what someone's going to face if they've just been through a bankruptcy, for example, and they've got a goal of qualifying for a mortgage? So great question, Blair. Um, one of the first things we need to figure out is what was the story? What happened in the bankruptcy? Right. Um, in terms of a time frame, you're typically looking at at least two years after discharge date before any atypical bank lender. And Mark, will, just on the story, so it does matter the circumstances, right? Because some, some people think it's just dollars are dollars and it doesn't matter if you gambled or if you got sick or something, but the lenders do care. Well, I'm going to say the lenders do care. Um, mm. I've been asked several times of mm. what, what was the story? What was the reason behind the bankruptcy? Right. I mean, obviously it's tough to turn around and say, well, you know, I'm a gambler, but, you know, we try to have, we have to try and, you know, put a reason behind the bankruptcy. Right. Okay. So back to timing, you're waiting about two years. 
And even then, Blair, when it's that two-year frame from discharge or two-year time frame from discharge, the way they look at mortgages after bankruptcy, it's not a one-off. They're really looking on the merits of the, the applicant, like what's their income like, mm-hmm. um, what, what's their credit like right now, um, and like I said, the story behind it, what's their down payment like. And we're really looking for the applicant to demonstrate two years of solid reestablished credit. Um, the down payments coming from their own resources has to be at the least 5% of the first 500000 and 10% of the balance. Um, generally, the larger the down payment, the stronger the file is looked. Obviously, you know, it's uh, less risk for the uh, lender. Right. And I know, Mark, when I sit down with clients and I tell them, you know, bankruptcy, when you finish it, it's going to be on your credit for six years. But um, a lot of people can reestablish credit and even qualify for a mortgage in two years. I get, you know, really incredulous looks, you know, how can that be possible? But, you know, when you look at the at the situation, you know, someone finishes a bankruptcy with no debt. Right? There's nobody else going to be competing right. for those dollars. They're going to take seriously the next obligation. And to your point, Mark, if they've done a great job for a two-year period and saved a down payment, you know, you're saying that they would be looked at similar to any other client at that point. Correct. I mean, I think you'll agree with me, Blair, in your experience, bad things happen to good people. Yep. Um, I really notice, as you probably do more often than I do, the difference between somebody who's gone through a bankruptcy, how they feel, how much relief, the, you know, the monkey off their back. That said, after the bankruptcy, it's all about reestablishing credit. Mm-hmm. And a couple of key things to remember, confirm with the credit bureau, and uh, Blair, maybe you work with them on this, that all the items that were included in the bankruptcy actually reflect that way on the credit bureau. Because there are times where I've pulled a credit bureau, tried to do a mortgage for someone who's two years post-bankrupt, and it's still showing that there's a large debt that wasn't included in the bankruptcy. So we basically got to go around and do the due diligence again. So that's one of the things that I'm sure you work with. Oh yeah. And that, that's a huge frustration for trustees and for clients alike. It's something that we we can correct, but essentially all the information is sent to the bureaus automatically. As soon as you're discharged, they've got all the debt information, but there's nothing that stops creditors from perhaps doing an inaccurate update, you know, by mistake. So sometimes you've got to clean up those mistakes, but it's pretty well a slam dunk. A bankruptcy deals with all the debts. It's just a matter of cleaning up the report later, but it can be an extra hassle sometimes. Correct. Now, can I ask a question? Is that something that I could do if I'm in that, if I'm one of your, cl- if I'm a client mm-hmm. or do I I have to wait for somebody of more authority like you mm-hmm. or you to do that for me? No, that's a great question, Elaine. Absolutely. It's something you can do. I can. Um, and in okay. fact, the trustee can't do it for you because it's your personal credit report. So got a trustee it. can give you all the information, help you with the forms, but you've got to submit an investigation to the bureau to say, hey, correct this bad information that's there. It's not okay. accurate. So the onus really is on me then to, to yep. do that. And it makes sense to mm-hmm. do it. Yeah, definitely. You don't want inaccurate information. I encourage, and we've talked about this before, everybody to pull their credit once a year and just to make sure there's not some weird stories that are in there that have nothing to do with you. Yeah, and I always forget that good advice. And when I walk out this door, I always (laughs) forget that. So getting back to this, Blair, um, in terms of what you're going to need in reestablishing the credit, it's really imperative that the documents that you provide your client, the certificate of discharge, and the notice of what was included in the bankruptcy that they really hang on to. Because when we fast forward and we're trying to do this mortgage, one of the important things is that we can show the certificate of discharge. And a lot of times the lender is going to ask what was included in the mortgage. Mm -hmm. So we need that discharge certificate. And uh, also great to confirm on the credit bureau that the discharge date has been listed. So it's actually looking, when we pull the credit bureau and now we're fast forwarded two years, 
we can see that the date of discharge is reflecting on the credit bureau. It's great to see that too. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we talked about re- rebuilding. As soon as they're discharged, and I know you have this conversation with your clients, it's all about rebuilding their credit because obviously the history they have isn't good history. And moving forward, when we're trying to get them a mortgage, the lender's looking for good history from that point forward. So they must have a positive reporting history. Um, we have a, um, a saying in the industry, and you probably do, it's called 222. Mm-hmm. And really it requires two trade lines, two years of track record, and at least $2,000 uh, in credit limits. So when we talk about trade lines, we're talking about any facility that reports on the credit bureau, whether it's a credit card, a car loan, a, a line of credit, anything like that. So I know with some bankruptcies, and Blair, maybe you can touch on this, the applicant can actually retain some credit after the bankruptcy or during yeah. the bankruptcy. Yeah, and, that, and that's a great point, Mark, because a lot of people, they're hesitant to even come into the office because they think if they've got a mortgage or they've got a car loan, if they have to file for bankruptcy, they've got to give both of those up, and it's it's completely untrue. So vast majority of people, unless they're sitting on oodles of equity in their property, they just keep making their mortgage payments, and that continues to you know help show that they're able to honor their obligations. Same with a car loan. In almost every case, you've got you know minimal to negative equity on a car loan. So if you file for bankruptcy, you've got the option of walking away or you can just continue to make those payments. And again, to your point, that will help with rebuilding. Absolutely. And, it, and it's great for people to know out there. I mean, most people need a vehicle to get to work. And yeah. a lot of them fear that, well, if I declare bankruptcy, I'm going to lose my vehicle. And, and that's not necessarily the case. So it's, right. a, it's a great point. So rebuilding the credit is a key thing. And if they can retain something, that's great. Otherwise, you know, obviously we're going to work on that. Um, and work on debt utilization. And, that, and that's a big thing. Uh, most people don't know that uh, the credit bureau has a scoring system mm-hmm. and the way debt utilization works is the credit bureau wants to see you not using more than 30% of your credit. And a lot of people okay. don't know that and they're not told that. But so $2,000, keep it to 600 Keep it to 600 okay. or if it's higher, spread it across two cards. Uh, it helps. It's all about rebuilding your score because when you're going back in to get a mortgage after being discharged, two years from discharge, you're still, we're still looking at your score. So what's your score? So if you haven't done any rebuilding, your score is going to still be poor. So it's all about rebuilding that score. And so Mark, a discussion I have often with my clients, you know, if their ultimate goal is to qualify for a mortgage, sometimes the quicker and better way for them to deal with it is to actually take the hit of a bankruptcy, to deal with all the unsecured debt and then focus on rebuilding. And everyone's so surprised you can do that in two years. You can rebuild your credit after a bankruptcy. So if someone's looking at, you know, 15 years to chisel out from debt and they want to preserve a perfect credit rating that whole time, it can be a better strategy to take a short-term hit and then actually rebuild your credit within a couple of years after. Well, when you look at the, the options, Blair, uh, most of the people that are looking at bankruptcy, they're carrying a huge debt level, yep. huge stress level. Yep. So to know that, listen, you can eliminate all that debt. You're coming in there fresh. Um, you're rebuilding your credit. You can start over. You're getting a second chance. I mean, th- those are great options versus you're never going to get out of that debt anyway. So, I mean, it's it's a great option. I'm just going to jump in here, you guys. We're almost completely out of time. And I want to mention one thing. If any of this information is resonating with you, uh, if you've been thinking about a mortgage, if you're in that position where you're, you've either declared bankruptcy or you're going through the process, you want more information, I can tell you two guys to talk to about it. 
uh, Blair Manton, Sands and Associates, and I'll give you their, his website in just a second, uh, or talk to Mark Fidget. He's also very accessible. AdvancedEquity.ca is the website. Uh, he's a super knowledgeable guy about mortgage debt and personal finance. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates, and here's their plug. Get a financial fresh start by calling 1-800-661-3030 for that free consultation and to find an office near you. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.